to 2 Kings to look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread as it fits God's calendar. So today we pause to wrap it up. I guess you could say kind of wrap up the spring feast. Looking at the Feast of First Fruits, which is where Crystal read from in Leviticus chapter 23. And it got me thinking about this. You ever seen people wave? I'm always a, a visual person when I read scripture. So I will, I will picture that priest waving that, that offering. But then when I do that, I get a little corrupt because I'm a fallen man. So I picture different types of people doing different types of waves, maybe waving that, that sheet. Y'all kind of get what I'm going, right? You've seen different people. How would you wave? All right. So just a normal, I'm goofy. How are you? The princess wave. Got the princess wave. Got the puppet wave. What else we got? If you're cool, now if you do that, you got to say, hey, hey, hey. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you can't just do that. You got to, there's got to be a word that goes with it as you throw that out there, right? Yeah. Oh, what is that? Oh, that's, that's the whip the nay one? Oh, no, that's okay. Over the head, is that like traffic controller, air traffic controller wave? You ever seen like little kids when they're trying to get somebody's attention, they wave, but they get like all kind of crazy when you don't see them wave, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the I got a P wave. If it, if it's stretched out like that and the hand is shaking, that's, that's definitely a I got a P wave, right? That there's I got to get attention wave. You see them jump sometimes. You see them go crazy. What I'm thinking of, and when I picture this thing, now that, I, now that I'm getting all these waves going on, I picture, like, you ever been to, like, a Stingray game where they throw out the shirts? You know, those little kids, poor little fellas, right? They're so small compared to everybody else, but they want to get noticed. So you'll see, notice the word, they want to get noticed. That's why we wave sometimes, we want to get noticed, right? So they'll jump up and, and wave their arms in the air, and they'll go a little crazy. And if, if that doesn't work, what's something else they do sometimes? Huh? They'll begin to holler a little bit. But if that doesn't work, I mean, they're little fellows, man, with a big old crowd of people. What would you do, man? Hey, yo, hey. that fellow raised his hand. Y'all give him room to talk. Stand on the seat. There's a good move. See, that guy's way ahead of you guys. He's 18 inches taller than everybody else already. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all yelling, y'all jumping, but he's 18 inches above you yelling and waving, too. He's still not tall enough, man. There's some tall people out there. What do you do then? You get on daddy's shoulders so that you can be acknowledged by your wave. Keep that in mind as we look at this offering now, right? Because what are we saying? We're saying sometimes we wave to be acknowledged. Sometimes we wave to get attention, right? So the Feast of First Fruits, what Crystal just read, has the idea behind it of waving to be acknowledged for a reason. Waving to get Somebody very important's attention, Abba Father, for a reason. All right? So, so go back to Leviticus 23. I know you got your Bibles open because you're, you're good, holy people, and you're ready for it, right? And we get to this feast, and in Leviticus 23, what you get at the very beginning is, is this idea of God saying, these are my appointed days, these are my special days. And then he goes into them, and one of them, you know, that we talked about very briefly last week because we looked at it more in depth last year, was Passover. And, 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 you know, the, the selection of the lamb and, and all that stuff that comes a little bit previous to that. Um, then you got the unleavened bread, which happens the day after Passover, which we, we looked at last week. And, and then it very specifically says something in 9 through 11, which Crystal just read that says, and then I want another feast. 
See, I don't know where people get the idea like God's people don't get to have fun because it seems to me every time I read scripture, God's all about throwing a party. You know what I'm saying? And it ain't just no little party. Like he's all about eating and celebrating and dancing. He's Baptist. You know, like Baptocostal. He's got, he's got a little bit of costal in him because he likes to dance at the party, but a lot of Baptists because he likes to eat, right? You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's down for this kind of stuff. So when you think, man, I come to church, I go to church, I'm a, I'm a believer, I got a boring life. When you ain't studied scripture. Like you ain't checked out what all's in there for you to be doing, right? So, so we get this thing, 9 through 11. I'm going to look at it again that Crystal just read. And it said, the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you an awesome harvest. How cool is that, right? Like God's got this promise. I'm going to give you a harvest. You're to bring the very first sheaf of the harvest to the priest. And he's going to present that sheaf before the Lord so that you will be, what? Hold on, it's got a purpose. So we're getting acknowledged and we're wavering for a reason. What's the reason? He will present the sheep before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The chief is to present it on the day after the Sabbath. Wow. What is the what is the Sabbath? Saturday. What's the day after the Sabbath? Sunday. Today. Right. What, what, what does it say Jesus was resurrected on? The first day of the week, which would be Sunday. So Jesus was resurrected on the same day they would have been saying the Feast of First Fruits, right? So, so keep this in mind, because as we looked at last week and, and even when we briefed over Passover, the idea behind these feasts, at least that God wants us to get, the idea behind these feasts is that we see Jesus in them. And when we see Jesus in them, so we get the history, we get the Jesus, and then we can apply it to our lives and begin to understand a little bit more about what he's really saying, what he's really doing through this. Because I'm going to be honest, if we're, if we're, if we're real honest and we did maybe some of that reading, you know, they had all those little posts where read what happened this day and read what happened this day for the for the Holy Week. We read some of that. And I'm a, it, you guys are holier, so I, I'm, I'm not as holy as y'all. So I'm going to say it this way. Some of it sounds really strange. I'm going to be honest. OK, when I read some of the stuff that Jesus does, Jesus said some of the stuff that went on, I'm like, that's weird. Right. But it's because I don't fully understand things until I look at God's big picture. On what's going on. So that's what I want us to do. All right. So, so we got the idea. We got the setup. Israel's moving into the land, the promised land. They got on a 40 year detour, which is a whole nother sermon in itself. They made their way into the promised land under the leader, the leadership of Joshua. They get where they're going. The first thing they're going to do when the springtime crop comes up. So, so seed that's been planted, you know, so most likely it would have been the grain harvest or the barley, uh, wheat, that kind of stuff that would come up first. They're going to take a measure of it. And in Jesus' time, this is, this is how I want us to tie this whole thing together, right? In Jesus' time in Jerusalem, the priests would have had this field designated for the Feast of Firsts. Now, what I mean by designated is this. This whole field is, is set aside not to be touched by anybody. God's going to be the one to bring the rain. God's going to be the one to bring the sunshine. God's going to be the one to bring this crop. This is a God-given, God-orchestrated, left-alone crop for a specific person. What this priest would do when the time came... This Feast of First Fruits, this Sabbath right after or right during, I guess I should say, to be correct, because it's not always going to be at the end, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Notice that. That's important for some dates and times, maybe for some of us, right? This this significant religious festival kicks off. They're getting prepared. Everything's going great. This chief of Jerusalem, a priest of Jerusalem, would go to this field. The field would begin to blossom. He would take a, a section out of this field. Notice it's a section. It's not just one, you know, one one harvest. It's 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 a it's a it's a group of them, right? It's a sheaf, so there's more than more than just one in it. It's 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 the first fruits of this crop. It's designated for this thing, and then he would kind of go through this process when that 
day come, that, that Sabbath, the, the first day after the Sabbath. So, so this Sunday, he would take it back to the temple. He would thresh the grain. He would sift the grain. He would hold it up so that the, the shaft would be blown away. This is, this is all part of this festival. So, so a lot going on, a big thing. You mill it very, very fine, sift it, bundle it together, and then wave it before the Lord is what he says he would do. A wave offering. Now, wave offerings used in many more spots. But for, for this right here, what I want us to gather there and make sure we understand is this wave offering, this one thing he's waving represents the whole. So what we're saying is I, I want you to bless this, this first little bit so that we acknowledge the fact that you're going to bless the rest of it. So this one thing represents the whole thing, right? So we're taking the first, recognizing what God's doing, symbolic of the whole, this feast of first fruits. And we pick up in Leviticus 23, this date and this time that goes on. And here's why this is kind of important for some lessons I'm going to get to later. So Passover, we given a numerical date on the calendar. We read that last week. Right. Got Exodus. Mitch read last week from the book of Exodus. And it said it is to begin on the 14th of Nisan. Got to know this because numbers are going to get real important here in a minute. Right. So you got the 14th Nisan. Feast of Unleavened Bread begins when? 15th, one day after. Yeah, Passover the day after you start this feast. Now, Crystal just read Leviticus 23 and it said this. So, so we're, we've got our timeline. We are in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? And it says whenever the Sabbath comes up in that feast. So 14, 15, those are numeric days. No matter what, that's when they begin, right? So somewhere along those seven days is going to be a Sabbath. And somewhere along those seven days is going to be a day after the Sabbath. Right? So it says wherever that Sabbath lines up the day after is to then begin the Feast of First Fruits. Now, I'm pointing this out because I want to make sure we understand this. Like, feet are the, um, sorry, the Feast of First Fruits is always going to be on a Sunday. It's like Super Bowl Sunday, right? You don't have a Super Bowl Monday. You don't get a Super Bowl Tuesday. It's always on a Sunday. But your birthday, some of y'all in the room, right? Y'all's birthday this year was on a Sunday. Does that mean next year to be on a Sunday? No, your birthday's on a specific date, right? So no matter what day of the week it is, when that date comes up, that's your birthday, all right? Got, got to understand this because to get to some, some important dates here in just a minute, this is all just a setup. So some of you think, what is this guy talking about? Why is he sharing all this history? I did not come to church to get a history lesson, right? You did so that you can understand what happens, right? So, so here's what it says. Oh, and here's a particular point I didn't want to leave out as I'm trying to get through this history part quick, right? Nobody's allowed to touch this harvest. Keep that in mind. What Crystal just read is said that when that time comes, nobody can nobody can touch it until after it's been offered and waived. All right. So keep, keep that in mind. That's important for some weird stuff that Jesus is going to do and say when he comes. All right. So Leviticus 23, 14. 23, 14. Here's what he says. You must not eat this bread, roasted grain, or any grain until this very day until you have brought the offering to God. So do not touch it. Stay away from it. Keep your hands off of it until it's been offered to God. All right. Now, another neat thing when you get to 15 and 16, which we didn't read, but I just think it's kind of awesome. Like the Feast of First Fruits is a timetable for God. So it starts when you get to 15 and 16. It actually says from this day after the Sabbath, uh, the day you bring the sheaf and the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering again. Well, he's setting the tone for when the next is going to be. We get that like that's Pentecost. So that, that's why this this date is so important. It sets up everything. It's awesome. 
and it's super important to God. And I think we're going to really see why as we, we get in this thing, right? So, so what does this mean for you? We're not there yet. Because before we get at what it means to you, we got to know what it means for Jesus. That's who we're here to represent. That's who we're here to acknowledge, right? So, so look at this. And as it points to Jesus and, and we pay attention to this, here's what we got to know. Jesus was the Passover lamb. We talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was crucified. Not that it's not important. I just want to get to the, to the stuff for today, man. I hate to. It's, it's so, it's, you know why you just can't have one hour in church? Cause there's too much stuff up in it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you gotta have more time than, than just an hour with me, man. Sorry. So God assigns this date. That, then, that, so Passover was the death. Then we talked about, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread is the buried time, um, and then, therefore, Feast First Fruits must acknowledge the resurrection, right? Now, here's why dates and all get so complicated and so weird. And here's why I really sometimes can care less that we pay attention to dates for certain issues that we want to argue over, right? In, uh, in 1 BC, there's some, there's some history that tells us that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they kind of absorbed some, or observed some different dates. So much to the point that they got to a point where they almost included like Passover and the first day of unleavened bread into one day, or at least attempted to, I guess you could say. So some people would be so confused by, by some of this. What I want to point out is John says this, that there's a high holy day in the middle of all this. So that means you had to have Passover, then you had to have a high holy day, which would have been part of the feast of unleavened bread and what? The normal Sabbath, right? So, so, so all that's got to be in this, in this thing. All right. So regardless of whether you believe, and this is not what we're here to debate. So nobody needs to tell me on the porch how they counted out the days on the calendar and they think Jesus died on a Thursday instead of a Friday. And we could debate all that afterwards. That's not important, right? Just like we always say Jesus was born on December 25th. Do you really believe Jesus was born on December 25th? It's just the day you use to acknowledge his birthday. All right. Really nothing more than that. Somebody's like, Oh man, I got to change my calendar. I had Jesus's birthday down for, for that. Right. All right. Passover the 14th. All right, so then he would have been buried for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 15th and 16th. And here's where I'm getting at, and here's where I want you to understand, because something's going to come up. I would suggest to you, then, that on the 17th of Nisan, the first day of first fruits, that first day after the Sabbath, would have been the day of Jesus' resurrection. Now, I want you to do some homework this week. Go back, actually study your Bible, spend some time in it, rather than your, your you know, one day a week visit to us, um, and, and check it out. Passover speaks of Jesus' death. Unleavened Bread speaks of his burial. First fruit speaks of his resurrection. His resurrection would have been on the 17th of Nisan, right? So when you look at this and you, you dive down through all of this, trying to make it understandable, we see what Jesus does in the, in these feasts in his life. And my hope is that in seeing what Jesus does in the resurrection, it helps us. So here's what Jesus does that we just now read about that hopefully understands. Here's one of the first things I always thought was weird. Now again, you guys may not have thought he was weird because he's Jesus. I thought it was kind of weird. So when I read it, and in the very first morning of Jesus' resurrection, that Sunday morning, there's this lady. She goes to the tomb. You know, y'all call her Mary. Uh, I think some of y'all think her last name is actually Madeline. She's actually from that area. Um, not her last name. But but anyway, she makes it to the tomb first. She's, she gets there, and the stone's rolled away. She runs inside. You can imagine, like, this being a dedicated lady, how smooth everything should be going, right? You're like, oh, this can be a pretty picture. She gets inside, and there's no Jesus. There's two angels sitting there. She's distraught. She's upset. She's having a bad moment. So she walks outside and she doesn't know it, but she sees Jesus and she thinks he's a gardener. Right. So she's judging the book by the cover and she sees she sees him out there and, and she's just upset. The angels have just told her that he's not here. He's risen. And when she sees this, 
this gardener, she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus. Now, a lot of people read it and they're like, man, like what? What was wrong with her? I don't know about you, but if somebody I know died like three days ago and they I seen them buried like and I was walking around Walmart, I'm not going to really like think that that's them that I ran into. You know, be like, man, that person looked a lot like so and so. But I'm not really going to think that that was them. Right. So in John chapter 20. She's weeping, she's crying. She even tells this gardener, if you've taken the body, let me know. Like, I'll go get it. I'll bring it back. I'll do this thing. And in verse 15, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Seemed like a weird question for Jesus to ask, right? Like, he's got to know why she's crying. He's at, she's at his, his grave, right? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she tells him, if you carried him away, let me know and I'll get him back. And Jesus said, Mary. He called her by name. She turned around and cried immediately in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And then in verse 17, Jesus said, this is the part I think is weird. Maybe you guys are just so holy you don't get it. But he said, hey, don't touch me. Verse 17, he, said, he, he, he literally says, don't hold on to me. Some translations say, don't touch me, for I'm not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascended to the Father. Like, it just seems weird. I'm like, man, Jesus has been this compassionate guy. You know, he's been there for all these people that have been hurting. Yet here he gets to the resurrection and a lady who is the most dedicated. I mean, she runs to this tomb the first moment she can to see him. She's weeping and she's crying. And instead of walking over there, putting his arm around her, loving on her, he says, woman, keep your hands off me. Now, see, y'all, y'all think it's weird, too. Y'all just ain't never wanted to admit it. Yeah, and nobody's understood it until you study. Leviticus 23 said, right? Because when we read Leviticus 23 and we put this little truth into what's actually taking place, what Jesus is representing, the Feast of First Fruits, what do we just say it meant? You cannot touch that harvest until it's been way before the Lord, right? It's a challenge and it sounds weird, but when we understand what Jesus is doing, we get a little bit better idea of, man, Jesus wasn't just being a jerk and like, thinking like this woman had dirty hands or something, like he was... He was following suit. He was doing what he was supposed to do, right? So, so he couldn't touch any of this until this offering is made. What, what did he tell her in the, the preceding part of the verses? Don't touch me for I've not yet, what, ascended to the Father. What's he going to ascend to the Father to do? He's going to ascend to the Father to wave. Right? Is this, is that not what, the, what this is supposed to be? I should, should have had my man up here like he did it way better than me. So when I say it, you do it, right? Like, what did he send to the Father to do? Wave! Like, he's going to, to wave to the Father so the Father can what? Bless and accept the offering. And it can't be touched until then, right? So now we're getting a little bit better picture of what Jesus is really doing here, right? So, so when these sheaves are cut, here's what I also thought was kind of cool before I jump to this next weird thing that Jesus does or that happens during this time. When these sheaves were cut from the field, you imagine this big old pretty field, right? And if you've designated this whole field for this, don't you think you're going to go through and actually pick like the best looking part of the crop? Right? And then you're going to cut it away. Remember, it's not just one. It's a bunch of them, right? So what would you kind of see in that field? I'm a picture guy, man. I got it, right? What is it? A hole. You got a giant hole right there. Well, what did she see when she got to the, to the tomb? An empty tomb, a giant hole. Right. So so you've got this picture that Jesus does right then and there, like all this stuff is beginning to like highlight us. Now we're like, man, it's not just a a weird thing. It's not just a coincidence. Like God's had this plan the entire time. Now, I know some of you are thinking God's sentence. I mean, uh, coincidence. We call them God's sentences. 
We'll get to that more in just a minute, right? So, so here's another thing. Since we just talked about it being more than one uh, stock or more than one uh, piece of grain offering, right? I say I think the same thing happened when Jesus was resurrected. What does Scripture tell us? And uh, and I think this one's always been weird. You guys may not have again, but to me, like this is the weirdest thing that happens during the resurrection. Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verses fifty through fifty-three. Jesus' death and resurrection. It says, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, a certain temple. Uh, was torn from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rock split, and the tomb broke open. The bodies of many, not all, many, holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and just went walk around the city. Some of y'all are like, this is not a cool Easter verse. Like, why? Why you want to bust this out while we hear verse? All right? Dead people just strolling through the city, hanging out, rocking out, it's weird, is it not? Doesn't he say they look like? Maybe they look like eyes missing. Maybe they look normal. I don't know, right? But but here's the thing. What did, what did Leviticus 23 tell us? Because that's what's really going on. Remember, he's, he's, he's painting this whole picture for us, right? What did it say? It's not just one. It was what? Many. Many. And Scripture said in, in Matthew chapter 27, it says that many holy people, not all of them, so to me, now you, you interpret it your own way, right? But to me, I can't help but look at this and be like, he's presenting a sample of what can be the whole and waving it before the Father. Right? I always thought it was weird. I was like, well, what went on? And, and, and why is there that part of it? That's why there's that part of it. See, God don't do nothing by accident. It's not like there's just some weird thing that was recorded. I bet when they recorded, they probably didn't even know why it was happening. I mean, think about it. You've read it how many times and you probably never tied it together. I've read it how many times and I never tied it together. Right. So so we got this going. Right. And, and he's doing this. And, and these, these weird dead people are walking around. And now everybody's question is, well, what happened to him? You ready? You ready for your note takers? Write it down. I have no idea. Right. It doesn't say. So to speculate anything else, whether they died again, whether they were resurrected with you, I don't know. To do anything other than to say I don't know would be to just speculate, right? The Bible doesn't say what happened to him. So guess what that means? You don't get to deserve to know what happened to him, right? Make up a story if you want. I don't know. Jesus has the sample of people who demonstrate this wave off before the Lord. Jesus waves. God sees his hand. Now this this is cool stuff that's being painted, right? So we got the history. We got what Jesus is doing. Some of that weird stuff maybe now making a little more sense to us. What does it mean for me, though? What does it mean for us today? How does, how does it encourage us? How does it impact our life? Here's the first thing. The first lesson we get with Jesus is that in Jesus, the harvest has begun. And if something has begun, what does that mean? <laughs> there's going to be an end, but I hope there's going to be something in the... Y'all jump straight to the ending. I want, I want that middle. I'm kind of in the middle, right? So you got something that began, so then there must be something that follows. Right? You don't get first place if you're the only one in the race, do you? If you do, you didn't earn it. I hate to pop your little golden bubble as a little child, but you did not earn that medal and you need to give it back. Right? Give that first place trophy back. If you didn't compete against nobody, you didn't win. Right? (laughs) Jesus says, I'm the first because there's going to be more to follow. Many to follow. Right? And that should be good news for you and I. The harvest has begun. This is just a portion of it that represents the whole. There is more to come. Right? 
So John the Baptist said, talking about Jesus, he said that he was the Lamb of God. When Jesus spoke, he said, I am the bread of life. Matthew chapter 3, the words of John the Baptist again, he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one that's more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His, here's where we always stop. Like we know that part, right? And then, then we like we stop because we don't understand this next part. It says that his fork in his hand will be, uh, will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up shafe uh, with unquenchable fire. What's he speaking of? <sighs> the harvest. We don't like it because what's Jesus flat out saying? He's saying there's going to be a resurrection of both. And the good that believed in me and followed my ways and acknowledged me and, and lived by scripture and, and fully acknowledged that I was their savior. I've got great things for them. They're going to be the acceptable offering. But he also says there's going to be this other group that's resurrected. And maybe they weren't so good. Maybe they weren't so accepted. What's going to happen to them? Oh. You notice how we always stop that verse right after carrying sandals? That's why, right there. Right? Because we get a little uncomfortable with the truth that's in Scripture. It shouldn't surprise us that this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus spoke truth like this all the time. In John chapter 5, Jesus' words, he says, uh, 28 and 29, Don't be amazed at this, for at times uh, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus didn't sugarcoat this part of the message, guys. Sometimes we try to sugarcoat it, but he, he doesn't sugarcoat this part of it. He says if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, then we'll be raised for a good thing. But if we have it, there's danger that goes behind that. And there's worry that should concern us and, and keep us on it, right? And as this is the this is the harvest of more to come, then what is he saying? Like those that he's raising first, then they must be seed carriers. Meaning that you and I got a job to do. Meaning that you and I should be communicating to the world that God wants to reconcile with them. That these these feasts and these ideas in Scripture that seem so weird, like they're played out perfectly in the New Testament. It's not like a new idea. It's an old idea being lived out. So it's not, it shouldn't surprise us, right? Jesus said this. Tell them there being a big harvest but not enough workers, man. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. I thought of this verse this week because a guy was... Talking to me and sharing with me, he said, man, there's just so much work out there. And it wasn't, it wasn't but a few minutes, well, probably a couple hours later, somebody stops by like asking to borrow money because they couldn't get any work. And I kind of had to laugh because I'm like, man, there's so much work out there right now. Like if you, if you're trying, you can get something right now, right? Jesus, Jesus said this about it though. Talking about being a lot of work and, and some workers who don't want to work. It says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Again, Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. The harvest has begun. So i got to ask us a question, church believers. Are you a worker in the harvest field for God? Are you doing what he's called you to do? And if not, then why not? Why aren't you doing what he's clearly had an idea for you to do since the very beginning of time? Are there people in need of hearing the message? Yes. Do you have the message? Yes. Then why aren't you sharing the message? Why isn't the message that most important thing for us? I, I asked you this week for a challenge. I didn't know Dave was going to be like that, that mixed Sunday kind of thing with the kids, right? But I asked you last week, I challenged you parents. I said, try to go a whole week this year without saying Easter. How many of you at least tried it? How many of you struggled with it? 
You struggle in the beginning doing it, right? Because you're so used to what? Saying it. But when we say that first instead of resurrection, what are we teaching kids? What, I mean, what are we teaching them? What are we showing them? We can say whatever we want about today's resurrection day, but if we focus and we say that word Easter over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, you better believe that kid ain't thinking of resurrection. He's thinking Easter. Am I right? Okay. So, so it was a tough challenge, right? And it was a tough thing to do. But, but is it not worth it to give somebody the right message rather than to mess it up with the wrong ideas? If we're going to say like his resurrection is number one, then shouldn't that be the number one thought that comes to mind? Now, if you don't like this and you don't agree with it, think on it this way. Ask your kids when you get home later and you buy yourselves. Ask them, hey, what's the first thing they thought to do mine today? See if it was some candy. See if it was some some bunnies and see if it was whatever else goes on. Or see if it was literally an empty tomb. See if it was literally a feast of first fruit. See if it was literally a wave offering taking place and happening. Right. What are we setting up and what are we teaching? All right. You and I have this idea. We've got this truth. It's our job to be messengers giving it. Here's the second thing. Second thing in Jesus, new life has come. All right. Here's here's why those numbers really matter right here, because I think all throughout biblical history. God has been setting this whole thing up for an awesome lesson. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter eight. You got Noah in the flood. Alright, you have no idea like Easter was gonna include all that, right? So you're like, man, I thought this was like my annual visit just to talk about an empty tomb. Yeah, but you gotta set up that empty tomb, man. Right? Genesis chapter 8, 3 through 4. Here's what it says. They're just now coming out of the flood, and it talks about the ark resting on, on the mount. It said the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, that's a long time to be on a boat, man. The water had gone down on the 17th day of the seventh month. The ark came to rest on the mountains of Erah. That 17th day sound familiar? Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking, so I want to go into it, right? Some of you are thinking, hold on, I said 17th day of the seventh month. But this is what book of the Bible? Genesis. All right. So in Exodus, what did Jesus tell them? We talked about this last week just a little bit. That's why I kind of threw it out there to make sure we get it, right? You got the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which represents what? That first crop, which he told them they were in that seventh month. But what did he tell them? This is now going to be your first month because it's the month of new beginning. Ah, dang, pastor. So it's not like a coincidence that Noah's boat just happened to land on a mountain on the 17th of the seventh month, which later would end up becoming the first month. God, it's amazing that just happened to happen that way. I know it's just accident, but let's just see if there are any other accidents. That happened that way, right? Coming through the waters, resting on dry land is a picture of what? Resurrection. It, it, it is, man. Noah and his family, picture of the first fruits of a whole new life about to take place. It's beautiful, man. Israel, they came through the Red Sea on the 17th of Nisan, right? I know, coincidence. It's amazing. Said so they left on Passover the 14th, took three days to get there, and that's what happened. What happened on that Red Sea crossing? Wasn't there like some Egyptians that like drowned? And by some, I mean like all of them. Right, so wasn't it like death pushing forth an idea of resurrection to new life on the 17th? What a quinky dinky. Right? Then you got Joshua chapter 5. I can do this all day. Joshua chapter 5, you go through this thing and it says this in Joshua chapter 5, that on the evening of the 14th day of the month, guess what month? 
You got it. The Sabbath, Passover, Nisan, right? Verses 11 through 12. They camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. The Israelites, they celebrated Passover, 14th day of the month. We know that. Then they ate some produce from the land. Eleven bread and roasted grain, it tells us. Then it says the day after that, so keep, keep up. You guys count with me because I don't want to be wrong. You guys hold me accountable, right? This says the day after that, the manna stopped. Huh. So now there's no longer any manna. So that means the day after that, they had to eat the produce from Canaan. Huh. So there's Passover. The day after Passover, the day uh, the manna stopped. 16th, by the way, if you ain't counting. And then on the 17th, they're feasting on new land and new life. What? Yeah. Uh-huh. What a coincidence, right? Man, this is just, this is just, what a coincidence, man. I don't know how it happened this way. Right? And if that's not enough for you, let's just go one more, right? What's one more? We got like two more minutes extra to spare this morning, right? So if you go to Esther, <laughs> you go to the book of Esther, hey, you calm down after lunch. I'll come over there and eat your lunch, right? I will eat while I speak, right? You go to the book of Esther. Now, for those of you who don't know the story of Esther, I'm going to give you a brief wrap of all the characters in Esther, right? You got a king named Xerxes. You got Esther, who was, a, who was a Jewish lady, but she made it to queen. She got Jewish background, but she made it to queen. Uh, her family's all Jews. That means Mordecai, her uncle that's taking care of everything. He's a Jew. So if you were to look at these characters, you got Esther. She's good. Mordecai, he's good. Xerxes, he's kind of neutral. And then you got this jerk named Hammond, who's kind of like, I'd like to punch him in the throat kind of guy. Right? Y'all all have family members like that too, right? You better shake your head because I know some of your stories, and I will tell who that family member is if you don't agree with me, right? So we got that going on, right? So there's a rundown of all the stories. So Haman is on this mission to kill the Jewish people. That's, that's his goal. He wants to eliminate the Jewish people, wants to exterminate them. He's going to start with this guy named Mordecai because he's got the ear of who? The queen. Because you know, right, they're related, right? So he's convinced the king to sign this royal decree to start eliminating them. When you get to Esther chapter 3 and chapter 4, dates and everything just seem to line up. I know it's weird. Right. But but you got this. And as it's going, as it's happened to line up, it says that on the 13th day of Nisan, the, the, the king gets Xerxes gets this idea from from him. Everything's going bad and everything's not really looking good. So what does Esther do? She calls Mordecai. She calls her most loyal Jewish people. This would be chapter four, verses 15 through 16. She says, I want you guys to fast and I want you guys to pray. I want you to fast and I want you to pray and I want you to do so for three days. I'm not the best at math, but it started on the 13th. Three days, you got 14, and you got your thumbs up. You don't need that many. It's just, right? So you got 13, 14, 15, 16. We're at the 16th, right? Here's what she says. She says, I too am going to do the same thing. Now remember, now a woman in this time period should not be allowed to even approach the king. But here's what she says. She says, I'm going to do it, and if I perish, I perish. I I wish some of God's people would get that kind of attitude. Like, if it don't work out the way I wanted it to work out, who cares? Right? If I go, I go. I'm doing it God's way no matter what. That's courage, man. So so Mordecai and, and the Jews, they do what they're supposed to do. Scripture tells us on this third day, it says that Esther put on a royal robe. She stood in the inner court of the palace and she approached the king's hall. 16th. This is the 16th, right? She tells him, he goes, hey, man, I, I've been planning this thing. Here's what I want you and Hammond to do. I've got this party tonight. I want y'all to come on over. Now, you want to impress the king? You want to impress the king's right hand man? You just throw a party with the right amount of food. So she does it. She says, but at this party, I got something I want to ask you. So, so Hammond and Xerxes, they get there. They're, they're eating, they're fellowshipping. And finally, one of them says, man, we were supposed to be here because she asked a question. She says, hey, what? 
What was that question you want to ask? Esther says, I'm going to throw another party tomorrow night. That was the 16th. What would the next night be? Just, I know it's weird. It's just, I don't know how it lines up that way. Right? So she says, I, I want to throw another party tomorrow night. Will you guys come again? Of course she can cook, right? So you're like, yeah, I'm going to come. I'm going to fellowship with the food. I'm going to hang out. And I'm going to come again. What a weird thing happens, right? Coincidence. Coincidence happens. Over the course of that night, Haman starts to get a little exposure about his little ultimate plan of killing all the Jews. And if he kills all the Jews, guess who's a Jew who's got to go? Esther. Guess who happens to think Esther's the flyest thing that ever walked on the planet? Right? Think about it. She's not even allowed to approach a king. She approaches the king. And what does he tell her? You got to go back, I think, chapter three to read it. She comes in and he says, baby, you can have half of the country if you want it. You know how, oh man, she was smoking, right? She can whip the nene. We're going to keep it right there. That's as clean as we can get it, right? Like she got it going on. This is scriptural. Y'all don't look at me like I'm crazy. Like this is in God's word. All right? This is the Lord's word. You will rejoice and enjoy it. This is the day he has made, right? So she, she's got that kind of thing going. Well, the king finds out, holy cow, if I kill all the Jews, that means I got to kill sugar mama. I don't want sugar mama to die. Haman's plan gets exposed. This next day at the party, everything everything's unreal now. So now you're on the 17th. I, I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. It's just so much information, man. So now you're on the 17th at this party. Here's what Xerxes does. That, now, keep in mind, if you read this whole story, right? Haman's already set up the gallows to kill Mordecai. Already set up. The cross has already been prepared. Right? And here's... Here's what Xerxes tells Haman. Says, hey, you know, you prepared that gallow for Mordecai? That's for you now. The very instrument he meant for death is the instrument that's going to be used for death of the right thing, the evil one. The very instrument that was used for death, that was meant for death later on in the New Testament, becomes the death of death, right? Is that not what the cross represented with the empty groove and the, and, the, and the empty tomb? Empty groove. Jesus is getting his groove on too, I guess. I don't know, right? Do we understand like how this thing's painting out? This is beautiful, man. This is awesome what's happening right here. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes because I quit using them. That's a good thing sometime, right? So, so, so here it is. Tie, tie it all together. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Jesus is the one. He's the ark of our safety. He carries us through the floodwaters, right? He's the one that leads us into the promised land. He's the one that helps us feast on new land. He's the one that takes the enemy and what the enemy meant to destroy us and use that tool to destroy death itself. He's the one that came out and waved for the Feast of First Fruits. And here's what Paul said. Where, uh, Crystal Red wrapped us up. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 15. This is how now we can tie it all together since we know the story, right? First 15, uh, Corinthians 15, which I think those people would have known exactly what Paul was getting at. I think we missed it because we don't study the way we should. 20 through 23. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn Christ, the first fruits, when he comes through those belong to him. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying there's an opportunity for you and I to be made like Jesus. That he is the representative of the whole. That he represents the first he has begun was going to take place and be for many more. Right. Here's the third thing. Y'all stay with me. Last one. Third thing is this, that we're accepted and secured because of Jesus. 
in that first fruit offering, accepted and secured. Go back to Leviticus 23, verse 11. Here's what 11 said again. He will present the sheep before the Lord so that you, so that the rest may be accepted, right? Well, what's, what's it really getting at? What's it, what's it really mean? So that it will be accepted on behalf of this beginning so that it will sanctify the whole harvest. The first portion sanctifies the whole harvest. Church, when you and I see an empty tomb, it is so much more than just Jesus defeating death. It is the fact that you and I can defeat death. It is the fact of of you and I have our sins paid for. It is the fact that you and I can be made holy and, and be brought into the kingdom of God because he started this whole thing and he was accepted. So therefore, you and I can be accepted. Right. And here's the good news. If we put our faith and trust in Jesus, all the rest doesn't matter. Like he takes care of all of it. Like, no, you can't be good enough to be accepted by God. Like if you're trying that you you've messed up. The, the, the fact is this, that the mistakes are going to occur. But because God accepted that first offering, he's accepted you. Right. And, and it says that how, how tight do you think the priest held on to that stuff? Go, go back to what I was talking about with the process. Right. I mean, you, you got he, he, he brought it. I don't know how many days before they, they selected it and all that kind of stuff, right? But then he brought it back and, 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 he, and, he, and he beat it with these rods to get the good stuff out. And, and then he threw it in the air so that the wind would do what? Take the bad stuff away. And, and then, then he wraps up all the, the good stuff. And he's got it in his hand. Can you imagine being the guy who's responsible for holding that? Picture it. The whole Now, this is a big feast. So don't you think everybody's watching? Could you imagine being like the clumsy dude who tripped and dropped it all? Everybody would hate you, right? Like you would be the least popular person ever on the planet this time. So I bet that guy was gripping that thing like he had never gripped nothing else in his life, waving it the same way. You know, like like his fist was about to explode while he was holding on that tight to it. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, talk about being secure and in that hand. Jesus said that they shall never perish, verses 28 through 30. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Meaning what? Jesus is going to hold on to you just that tight. Right? He ain't going to be the clumsy person that drops you and lets you go. He's going to squeeze and hold on, right? And if you're a kid that's misbehaving, he's going to choke the life out of you until you learn to behave. No. <laughs> right? Meaning this, guys, if you've got faith in Jesus, you're in good hands. Not just good hands. Maybe that's not good enough. You're in secure hands. You're in secure hands. You're accepted and you're beloved in the Father because of what the Son has done, because of what Jesus is, because of what he's made. So stop trying to make yourself acceptable, right? It's not your work. It's his work. It's his victory, not your fault, not your fallings and your your shortcomings and all that kind of stuff, right? If you've come to faith in Jesus, stop trying to earn God's love because he is our first fruits, right? Think back to the little kid. Sometimes I think that's where we mess up. Like we think the world is so big and so powerful. Like God can't see my little hand waving. So I yell just a little bit while I wave. And God can't hear my little voice or see my little hand while I wave. So I jump up on a chair. So I can be just a couple inches taller, right? And I'm still jumping and I'm still waving. You need to get to the point where what did we say happens with the little kid? Where is he finally getting seen at? When he goes to daddy and says, daddy, I need to be on your shoulders. You know what I'm saying? Like, is that not a beautiful picture that ties this whole thing together? 
And then that's, that's what we need to do, man. Because you better believe if God sees Jesus, he sees you. Right? Like you don't have to worry about him seeing you if you saw Jesus. When Jesus waves, God sees his hands. He sees the nail prints in his hands. He sees the lamb that was slain. He sees the sacrificial substitute. <laughs> he also sees an empty grave of one that came out. He also sees ones that ascends and waves his hand for God to be able to look at it and bless all that he has called for his people to do. Waving that offering to become new and seeing those hands. So stop trying to get God to see you and let him see Jesus through you. Right? That's that's the main goal. God's not going to see you. He's going to see his son. Right? Think about it. there's a giant crowd of people, but you're the daddy. What's the one kid you're going to see? Yours. You know what I'm saying? Like when there's 22 little boogers on a football field, they're all dressed the exact same. I can spot my two boogers out faster than anybody else's. Right? That's how it works. God sees his. Right? Because we're his. So in him, that offering and that promise, right? First fruits. And it's like, I can't, I can't, I hope we understand what Paul said in that 15 man. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits then as he comes, those who belong to him. Paul is reminding us that this is just the beginning of more to come. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. No, you can't save yourself, but he's done it for you. He's taken care of everything for you. And God had it all planned out the whole time. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture of God? Like what he's done in his dates and all this. Man, when I first started realizing all the dates and how they lined up, like I I felt like a little schoolgirl or something, like getting all giddy, man. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's kind of weird because girls keep all these dates in their calendar. They tell you the first place you went out to eat. And they got these little scrapbooks about this and scrapbooks about this and that and all this going on and. God does the same thing on his special days. And, and I don't know about you. I, I've been joking the whole time about being a coincidence. There is no way you will ever convince me that all this stuff happened symbolically and lines up on the same day every single time without me telling you 100% that God did it on purpose. Right? God did it on purpose. Now, if this is your first time actually thinking about this stuff, well, what a better day to realize I need to be brought in to that harvest crop. What, what a better day to realize the wave that Jesus did can include me if I acknowledge him and become his. Or, or maybe you've just been one of them church for your whole life like you thought you impressed God by coming to church on Easter, right? Seriously, though, think about it. Stop trying to impress God. Just let God see the son through you. And the way he does that is when we live the way he's told us to live. And then let's just get if you don't get fired up after something like that and go out and start spreading seed like like just plant it everywhere, man. Right. You, you ever met somebody who ain't never, you ever met a kid when he's helping his his grandpa farm? You ever seen little kids when they help farm? I'm not talking about big fancy farm equipment. I'm talking about like like one of the little things. Right. Now, you, you grab the seed and just. You just throw it everywhere, right? As long as it lands on dirt, I got it. I think maybe we ought to get a little bit more like some kids. Jesus said have the faith of a kid, right? Maybe we should plant seed like kid. Now, we all know this, where the father has tilled and where the crop has been 
made a little bit better. That's the seed that grows better, right? But maybe we should just start by scattering as much seed as we can. Let him do the tilling. Let him do the fertilizing. Let him do the watering and the sunshine. But boy, we better make sure we've thrown seed into every area we can get it at, right? Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, on what today means on your calendar, Lord God. God, I pray that you open our eyes and our hearts, our minds, Lord God, to acknowledge the fact that you've lined it up this way on purpose to teach us such valuable lessons, Lord God. I pray that today, Lord God, it not just be some history that we learned, but not just be even tying together what and why Jesus did some of the weird stuff that happened. But Lord, I pray today be today where we take all that, Lord God, and we apply it to ourselves. Lord, no matter where we're at in our walk, Lord God, something today relates to each of us. And I pray now that your spirit, Lord God, come in and finish that gap. Lord, make known what it is you expect us to do with what we've been given today in your great name. Amen. God, I'm on my knees again. Oh, I'm begging, please again. I need you. Oh, I need you. Walking down the desert roads, water for my thirsty soul. I need you. Oh, I need you. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of.